0: There is another dimension beyond anything you've known before. A world of ideals that are as vast in their significance as they are in their application. You are traveling into another reality. A world that lies between imagination and the touch points of everyday life. A wondrous kingdom whose boundaries are supernatural. You're entering a parallel world. Driving in Auburn Township, Ohio, <clears throat> when he saw a van with a flat tire very, very slowly pulling a fishing boat on a trailer. And so he recognized, okay, these folks are having, having trouble, so their, their destination was real close, he dropped off his wife, stopped at a gas station, got a can of Fix-A-Flat, and made sure he grabbed his little inflator doohickey out of his trunk, drove back, um, and got pulled over on the side of the road, hazard lights flashing, ready to help this uh, driver, right? He, he got there, and he's, he's approaching the two passengers, a, a man and his 15-year-old son. All of a sudden, this you know, good deed turned dangerous. Uh, a, a pickup truck driven by a drunk driver smashed into the side of Menashe's car and went airborne and landed three feet from where he stood with these of uh, the two people. Uh, miraculously, nobody was hurt. It, it, so once everything kind of you know calmed down, <laughs> Minashi mentioned to the van driver and the the son that he worked as a nurse practitioner. They were like, "How in the world were you able to be so calm?" And he's, you know, I'm around trauma all the time, every day. And and so he, he he mentioned his job, and the the driver of the or the the van, you know, the the guy with his son, was just like, "That's weird," because it was like. Like, eight years ago, I was on a fishing trip with a buddy, and I got this hook caught in my hand, and it was, like, bad. It was bleeding, and it was a mess, and I couldn't grab anything because of the pain, and we didn't know what we were going to do, and this nurse practitioner in a kayak, like, pulled up along the river, and he got out, and, um, you know, he could see the blood-soaked towel, and he got the hook out of my hand, and and Christopher's like, I know that story. He said, you do? How do you know that? He goes, that was me. I was that guy, remember you now. That was eight years ago, right? Like, he goes, yeah, oh my goodness, it was you. You know, this incredible reunion on the side of the road. You, you know that story, too. I mean, some of the details got changed, but you know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Somebody wanders along, sees a need, steps into the situation. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37 is our text this morning. Thank you for being here. For those of you here in the room, take a second, fill out your paper uh, connection card as part of your bulletin. Please check out your bulletin, all the stuff that's going on there. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, you've got a digital connection card, and part of doing church online, just it takes a little extra effort from you, all right? So to be active in the chat, fill that out, be to stay engaged that way. We're glad that you've logged in. Thank you for doing that. One thing to let you know about, add to your prayer list, Uh, this week our brother Scott Churchill uh, went to his heavenly reward. He passed away. So please keep uh, Linda uh, and Catherine in your prayers this week. Uh, Scott has suffered for a long time and he is now at peace and at rest and made whole in Christ's presence, Uh, but it's going to be a rough time for for Linda and Catherine and and those who know and love him. So please keep them uh, in your prayers this week. For the last several weeks, we've been in a series through the parables in Luke's gospel called Parallel Worlds. And we kind of looked at how they, they function as a, as a way of revealing reality as God defines it. And it's kind of like, like the Twilight Zone or Stranger Things, right? It's this, this weird alternate reality. Th- these are subversive stories. There's a point in every one of these where it just kind of goes, er, and hangs a left. And what is going on? And it's usually at that point, Where it just turns where you're thinking, okay, there's the point of the parable. John, uh, excuse me, Fred Craddock, the great preacher of the 70s and 80s who kind of invented inductive teaching, called it a twist in the tail, T-A-L-E. It's this turn, it's this sudden, and the whole story changes, and that's usually where the point of the message is, and there's certainly one here in this story. But the problem with this story is we're so familiar with it that the twist can get lost. This story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, has really transcended its setting in Luke's gospel. It has it's gone beyond that and kind of entered into popular culture. We've got people walking around our church today in bright orange shirts that says Samaritan right across the thing. Right Now granted, Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization. They know the roots of their thing. You may not remember this, but the parable of the Good Samaritan was kind of the narrative core of the series finale of Seinfeld. You remember? It's been, it was over 20 years ago. If you haven't seen it yet, that's on you. So spoiler alert, right? George and Elaine and Kramer and Jerry go to this small town, and in this town they have a Good Samaritan law. Now, good Samaritan law is designed to protect people legally who see a situation gone bad, and they step in to help, and it maybe doesn't go right, and it's designed to protect them, right? It's a good thing. It's, it's, it's a good thing. But in a twist that only Seinfeld could come up with, this good Samaritan law is used to prosecute these four because they're from New York City. And in New York City just kind of functions a little different. You, you don't necessarily involve yourself in other people's lives. I I saw a video on YouTube recently, they said, you could do this test to tell who's from New York and who's a tourist. You go to New York City, and you walk down the middle of a busy street, and then you scream at the top of your lungs,
1: ah!
0: The people who don't turn around are from there. (laughs) The tourists will turn and look, right? They go to this little town, some guy's getting beat up, and they film it. They don't step in and help and they use this good Samaritan law to prosecute them. They should have done something. They, they should have helped, and the series ends with all four of them going to jail. Now, I don't know if it's my Celtic roots or not, or the occasional fit of wanderlust that I have to deal with. I, I love standing in places where one thing turns into another. The edge of a forest, right? You step out of the tall grass and into the trees. It's just a cool thing, right? The beach where the land turns into the water. It, it's cool. The top, the top of a mountain, right? Where the earth turns into the sky. It's cool. Dawn and dusk, where, where the time you know, changes. It's, it's just, it's cool. That's one of the things I love about living here where we live. Are we in the city? Are we in the suburbs? Yeah. Bit of both. We're kind of in that, you've, you've heard me use this term, the, this middle place, 20 minutes east and you're right downtown, 20 minutes west and you're out in the trees in Hendricks County. And, we're right in the middle. It, it's, just, it's kind of this, this interesting thing. And I tell you that so that you will understand the title of today's message. Because some of you looked in your bulletin, and you saw that, the nexus of Eleos, and you're like, is that even English? What, what is that? A nexus is a place where two things merge and meet, and one flows into the other. Eleos is the normal uh, Greek word for mercy in the New Testament. So, the nexus of Elios is where mercy and human need meet and flow into one another and connect. There's, it's this idea of these this kind of overlapping fields. All right? And that's really what we're going to talk about today because I think that that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. It's about the nexus of Elios. It's about the place where God's mercy and human need meet and flow into one another. You see, the message of the parable of the Good Samaritan is not be nice or even be kind to people who are not like you. It's way bigger than that. The essence of the parable is this, that your life is the place where God's mercy and mankind's need should come together. That your life is the nexus of Elios. And the Good Samaritan is one of those stories we all know. Even so, I think it's important to take a couple minutes and read the text. Look with me at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, so this is the law of Moses, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, look at this. But he wanted to justify himself. Now, why would Luke write that? Because he wasn't doing these things. Or at least he knew, he knew he could do them better. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus created a parallel world. Well, I know that's not what it says, but that's what he's doing. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away dead, or went away, leaving him half dead. I want to pause right here because I want to show you something, okay? Um, This is a picture of that road. Uh, this, is the, this is the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, you'll notice the text says down. Everywhere's down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on top of a mountain. So when it says down, they're not going south, right? It's, it's actually east. But it's down, and it goes through this rough country, the Judean wilderness. Now, I didn't take this picture because I'm in this picture. Carl, could you zoom in on the upper right corner, please? There we go. That's me. My friend took this picture. Because we got off the bus in Israel, and I was like, oh, man, that hill's blocking the view. (laughs) I'm going to run up there because the rest of our crew was all older than me. And they were having a hard time getting off the bus because there was Wi-Fi and it was air conditioned. Um, So I thought, I've got a few minutes here. I'm going to run up there and get a good picture. So I I ran up, and I took this short little video, and I just want to tell you before I show you this, I had just finished running. If I sound out of breath, I had just finished running back off. Watch. Here's the road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It starts right down there where the people are, and it follows that track that you can see in the middle of the screen. All the way up from the city of Jericho to Jerusalem. You can see it winding away down in that valley. That's the road that Jesus took when he went to go to Jerusalem from Jericho. That's the road he took to go to the cross. That's the road he was referencing in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It went through there line of dark and then clouds above it. That's the backside of the Mount of Olives. So right over that is the city of Jerusalem, okay? There are a lot of nooks and crannies on that road. There are a lot of places where robbers could hide, and you walk around the corner, down you go. That's the setting. Everybody, when Jesus told this story, everybody knew this road. He didn't have to paint a picture. They knew. They'd, they'd, they'd traveled it. They'd seen it. And they're probably thinking, oh, that guy's not very smart if he's traveling that road alone. <laughs> Let's keep going. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> now, you, you saw how narrow that track is. The other side is 18 inches away. He maybe is stepping over the guy. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, here's where the twist happens. But a Samaritan, now who's he talking to? A teacher in the law. A a true blue Jew, right? This guy is as Jewish as you can get. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, please understand, the Jews thought the only good Samaritan was a dead one. And the Samaritans happily returned the favor. They did not like each other. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Sometimes Jesus' parables kind of hang out there and you're not totally sure what he meant. Not this one. (laughs) He, he interprets it for you. Go and do likewise. That's how the text ends. We're supposed to identify with the Samaritan, that he serves as an example for us. And there's one thing that you, before we go any further, I need you to understand. The text says they were going down from Jerusalem. You've got a priest and a Levite. Why do priests and Levites go to Jerusalem? To worship, to serve at the temple. But they're going down. It means they're leaving You realize that this happened right after they'd been to church. This text occurs right after these men had just served at the temple. The priest and the Levite officiating over the sacrifices which were to to take away the sins of the people. They'd just been to church, and they walk by a guy who's dying on the side of the road. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So it's just, this is really practical. It, it, there's, a very, there's a deep practicality to this, and I want to talk about how, how do we do this? How do we go and do likewise? I think that this text reveals four steps. Here's the first one. Step one, lay aside prejudice. If you want your life to become the nexus of, where God's mercy and mankind's need come together, the first step is to lay aside prejudice. Prejudice. Jesus picks a parable as the hero of the story because Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans returned the favor. They did not like each other. And there's a lot of hundreds of years of history that go into that we don't have time to get into today. Jesus' point is for those who want to inherit eternal life, for those who want to please God, for those on, on their judgment day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For to be real disciples of Jesus, we have to realize that a very early point early waypoint in this journey of following jesus is to lay aside prejudice we have to do this the samaritan had every right according to the culture of his day to let this hapless jew lay there and die but instead he decides to lay aside prejudice to put it aside and to help him in his autobiography mahatma gandhi wrote that during his student days he heard the gospel he read the gospels and he took them seriously and considered converting to Christianity. So he was so interested because he believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he found a solution to the caste system in India that kept people divided. And by the way, he was right about that. And so he seriously considered converting to Christianity. And one Sunday morning, he went into a church building and was turned away at the door by an usher who encouraged him to leave and go worship with, quote, your own kind. End quote. Can you imagine, when you think about the history of the 20th century, can you imagine what kind of impact might have been made for the gospel had that usher recently read the parable of the Good Samaritan and lived that truth and laid aside his prejudice? Listen, I don't know if that guy's mansion in heaven is going to be smaller than ours or if he's even going to get to go. But there are consequences, church, to not doing this. We we have to learn to lay aside prejudice. Gandhi was like, well, if that's the way Christians are, I might as well stay a Hindu. This is is a crucial question. This is also a lifelong process. Because I think you make some progress in this area, and you're doing okay for a while, and then God shows you something else. When we talk here at Chapel Rock about bringing our brokenness to Jesus, in that benediction that we say, and if you're new here at Chapel Rock, at the end of every service, we say a, a, a benediction that, that reinforces our strategy of, of what we mean about seeing the whole community whole in Christ. It, it's not weird. I mean, everybody does it, and it's just kind of a reminder of what we're about here. But this process of bringing our brokenness, we constantly need to do this. There's, there's always a need to go, oh, yeah, here's this place in my life that doesn't look like Jesus. Here's a way that I'm, I'm not treating people the way Jesus would treat them, you know? And if you shy away from somebody because they, their skin is a different color or they wear different clothes than you or they smell different than you or they, they, you know, vote different than you or they love someone that you, like, question, like, why are you doing that? All of those are places where we have to look deep in our own heart and begin to just continually Engage in that process of laying aside prejudice. If you treat someone different because they're different than you, you're not being like Jesus. Say, how do you know that? Because that's what he did. How different are we from God? He had every right to be prejudiced toward us. We're messed up. He's perfect. But when he came down here and took on flesh, became one of us, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, in your place, for your sins, rose from the dead on the third day so that you could have life with God, eternal life. He's as different from us as you could possibly be, and yet, he took on our frailty. He came and was one one of us. It's the ultimate example of laying aside at least the potential for prejudice. That's the first step. Here's the second. You need to respond to injustice. Respond to injustice. Part of what makes the Samaritan the hero here is that he responds to the injustice done to this person. He was attacked. He was beaten. He was robbed. I'm, I'm sure the priest and the Levite had all sorts of justifications in their mind about how, why they couldn't help. If they had been at the temple, well, I'm, I'm, I'm ritually clean. I can't touch this guy. That would And they're right, by the way. The law According to the law of Moses, to help this guy would have made them unclean. But here's the deal. They're leaving church. They're not on their way. They'd have time to get cleaned up again before the next service. In the case of the Levite, he'd have 50 weeks to pull it together. He served a two-week stint once a year, they had time, but they've got all these justifications about why they couldn't help the guy, you know, but what earns the commendation of the Lord is the Samaritan's willingness to get involved in the situation, he sees the injustice being done to this person, and he can't help but get involved, I want to tell you a story about a great American hero, he was an editor, he was a school teacher, he was also a clergyman, his name was Elijah Lovejoy. Here's a, a woodcut drawing of him. The Civil War might have been averted, and a peaceful emancipation of slaves achieved it. There would have been more men like Pastor Elijah Lovejoy. He, he saw a lynching. He didn't want to be there. It just happened when he was around. And after watching a black man be lynched, He was committed forever to fighting uncompromisingly the awful, slim sin of slavery. And because he was so vocal in his opposition to it, because he was responding to the injustice done to people of dark skin in our country in the 1800s, mobs of angry racists came after Pastor Lovejoy. Time after time, they made death threats against him. They they made attempts on his life, all of them unsuccessful. He had a printing press that he was using to print materials to get out about the evils of slavery. They destroyed the printing press. None of that stopped him. His contemporaries urged him to compromise, and this was his response. He said, if by compromise is meant that I should cease from my duty, I cannot make it. Crush me if you will, but I shall die at my post. And he did, four days later at the hands of another mob. Not one of the repugnant criminals who did that was ever prosecuted for that crime, that murder. One of them eventually became the mayor of Alton, Illinois. However, there was another young man who was there who saw this happen. He had just been elected to the legislature In Illinois, his name was Abraham Lincoln. See, we're so familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We know this story. We know the lesson of it. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor is anybody God puts in your life. I wonder sometimes if that familiarity has caused us to lose track of the twist here. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, talks about this. He said, maybe we need to think about a sequel. <laughs> Good Samaritan, part two. He said, imagine the next day the Samaritan's traveling on the road and comes across another person bleeding in the ditch. A few weeks later, it happens again. As it turns out, every time he makes this trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, he sees somebody laying in the ditch. Eventually, he begins to think, well, maybe I need, I mean, I help the guy, yeah, but we need to figure out who's beating him up and stop those people, you know? You've heard the story, right? If you see someone drowning in a river, you pull them out. If you walk by the same spot again tomorrow and there's someone drowning in the river, you pull them out. You keep doing that long enough and eventually you head upstream and see who's chucking the people in the river. We have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to respond in love to injustice around us. We cannot just sit on our hands and wait for permission. And I'm going to tell you why. You don't need permission because you have a mission. Go and do likewise. You don't need permission from someone to tell you it's okay to get involved because you have a mission from Jesus. Go and do likewise. Y'all, it's in red in my Bible. That's pretty clear to me what we're supposed to be about, to respond to injustice. That's the second step. Here's the third one. The way that we see our our world through these parallel lens ideas of Jesus is to invest in the helpless. Invest in the helpless. And by helpless, I just mean someone who can't do anything to help you back. I, I, I understand that sometimes people are in a bad way. That doesn't make them helpless. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying they don't have resources to help you in the same way that you would help them. That's what I mean one of the most shocking aspects of this parable, one of the things that really makes it feel like an alternate reality is the level of the personal investment that this Samaritan makes in this man who was attacked. Look at verse 33 again. It says, he invests his heart. The text says he took pity on him. He invests his resources, his personal wealth, his oil and wine. Those, that's a monetary value to that. Right? He invests his time. He took care of him. The text says all night. Now, he might have been planning on staying at the inn But that doesn't mean he was planning on staying up all night nursing a half-dead guy. And he invests money. He leaves coins with the innkeeper. I don't know how long two denarii would pay for him to stay there, a couple days, a couple weeks, I don't know, a while. But there's the promise of even more on the back end. He says, I'm coming back through, and I'll I'll check in on him. I think Christ is calling us, church, to, to be willing to make an investment in people who can't do anything for us. Um, I remember a, a, an opportunity I had uh, my senior year of college. Um, this was pretty much the week I made the decision that I was going to marry my dear, sweet wife. Uh, I was in Seattle. just kind of, I went out there to look at some church planting and ministry opportunities. Um, I was really into grunge music, and I like the weather. It rains all the time. It's great. So I uh, was just checking it out. And I, I had a cousin who lived out there, and so I was serving. Her youth group would go downtown to downtown Seattle, Uh, and serve the homeless, and it's way worse now than it was at the time, but it was bad then too. And I remember being down there, and my job was to hand out apples in the line. I was just, people came through the line, I'm handing apples to homeless people. That was my job that night. And (laughs) at first I was offended, because nobody put the apple on their plate. It was like a food line, right, they're going through the line. Nobody put the apple, every single one of them, pocket, 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 pocket. I was like, man, nobody wants my apple. And then the Holy Spirit was like, that's breakfast tomorrow, moron. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Got that. And nobody there wasn't a whole lot of talking. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That was about it. And then one guy said, you know, would you like an apple? Yeah, thanks. Pocket. And he said this. I will never forget this. He said, I just want you to know it feels really good to take your apple. And not have to take your Jesus. And y'all, my flesh was like, give me that apple. (laughs) And then the Spirit said, Do you hear what He said? Doesn't matter whether He takes your apple. You're doing what I called you to do. My commendation is enough. You're good. We sang about it earlier. Your grace is enough. You don't need kudos from people. You'll get his approval. That's enough. We are never told if this dying Jew ever said thank you to the Samaritan. We don't know. Listen, this is how your life becomes a parallel reality. When, when your life becomes a place where God's mercy and mankind's need come together, it changes things. It's because without some help, this Jewish guy in the, in the story would have died. He was totally helpless. He could not have helped himself, and he could never have paid He might not even know the identity of the man who helped him. The Samaritan makes an investment of time and money and reputation. He couldn't possibly have had any chance of being paid back. He does it out of mercy, you know the difference, right, between grace and mercy? Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. <laughs> what the guy deserves is probably like a, you know, serves you right for coming alone down this road. Maybe if, you're, if your Jewish government did a better job taking care of these criminals, you wouldn't be in this mess. But instead, he, he receives help. And we have a tendency to, forgive this, to forget this detail, but this Samaritan's investment was, was bigger than we realized because not only did he stay with him through the night, he says, I'll come back, I'll check on him. There's a promise of more help coming later. You know, if it's been a while since you did something to help somebody who can't possibly pay you back, you've got opportunities to do that. You serve at our food pantry and get involved that way. The first Tuesday night of every month, our Man Up guys... At 5.30, meet here, and they head downtown to serve the homeless. If you want to get involved in a ministry like, like this, <laughs> it's a great way to do that. See, a lot of us draw our circle of mercy way too small. And I think it's, it's incumbent on us, if we're going to go and do likewise, to invest in the helpless, people who can't do anything for you. It doesn't mean they're helpless. I'm just saying they can't return the favor in that area. There's one more step in this, though. There's one more key thing. We better not miss this. Step four in this process is to take a public stand. You all know who George Foreman is, right? Boxer. He's got the George Foreman grill, right? He's a TV pitch man. He's also ordained minister, which I have a hard time putting all three of those things together in my head, but whatever. He, he wrote this in his book, God in My Corner. Ultimately, your belief in God will meet resistance, which forces, forces you to either shut up or speak up. And this comes to a point where you have to go public with what you, who you are and what you believe. And the most surprising thing about the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, is that he had the guts to take this beaten, bloody, half-dead Jew into a Jewish town and lodge him in a Jewish inn. Y'all ever see the old Western movies, right? Where the cowboy gets, fall, like, you know, gets bucked off his horse and falls down the hill and he's all beat up and broken and, and a Native American finds him and he puts him over the horse and he takes him into town and then what happens? They all gang up on the Native American dude. You killed him. I'm Helping him. Do you think that same dynamic wouldn't play out here? What are they going to think? Samaritan guy comes in with a half-dead, beat-up Jew, draped over his donkey. Jewish town. I hope he did it in the daylight. He takes a very public stand to show mercy to this Jewish guy. Listen, the job of the church is not to impact the church. The job of the church is to impact the world. It's been said that the church is the only organization that exists in the history of the world that exists for the benefit of the (laughs) non-member. You you know what this is, right? What we're doing right now, you know what this is? This is the huddle. We're in the huddle, right? Football, getting kicked off. Preseason game, getting started. This is the huddle. Listen to me, 70,000 people are not going to pay between $17 and $100 a ticket to watch the Colts and the Bills huddle. The reason they pay, the reason they go to the game is to see what difference the huddle makes. You don't pay to watch them huddle. You pay to see what difference the huddle makes. Even a preseason game like today, right? The challenge for us is not what we do when we call our Sunday morning huddle. Rather, it's what we do when we break our huddle to head out to our Monday morning assignment on the field to show mercy to a culture, a neighborhood, a community, a world that desperately needs it. Christ has called us to take a public stand on his behalf to show mercy in the public square for the purpose of of showing mercy to a community and a culture and a world that desperately needs it. You know this story. You've heard it a thousand times. And maybe it's been a motivation for you to serve others in your community. Maybe it's even helped you learn to treat someone who's different than you in some way with love and grace and mercy. You know this story, but I'm telling you that if you don't obey Jesus at the end of it and go and do likewise, it's not doing you any good. Jesus is inviting you to step in boldly, to step into this parallel reality and live in a way that the world just doesn't even have a box for this. Because when Jesus told this story, a Samaritan? A Samaritan? He, a Samaritan? No, come on, Jesus! And that's what he's calling us to do because that's what he does. Scripture says that while we were still God's enemies, Jesus died for us. He did this. Can I encourage you to allow your life to become the place where mankind's need and God's mercy come together and blur and meet and overlap? to become the nexus of Elios. Did you hear me today? Your life is the place where God's mercy and mankind's need come together. And listen, that's not gonna happen for you if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. So we talked with step one, but listen to me, step zero is that. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, if you've never said, I I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna be like that, I wanna be like the guy in the parable who is really ultimately just like Jesus, I wanna be like that. You've never made that decision. You're going to have an opportunity in just a second. Paul wrote in Ephesians that while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God, who is rich in mercy, Paul says, made us alive with Christ. We're supposed to, when we read this parable, we're supposed to identify with the Samaritan. But if you've never decided to follow Jesus, you're not the Samaritan in the story. You're the guy laying on the side of the road. And, and, and Jesus is, is here today to, to patch you up and heal you and make you whole. If you've never made the decision to follow him, you're going to have an opportunity. We're going to stand and sing in just a second. I would would invite you to come forward and name Christ as Lord and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit and walk in discipleship to him and, and learn how to do this. That's the first step. You need to receive God's mercy. Maybe you have. Maybe you have received it, and so you need to show it to others. And that's a decision that all of us need to make. And so can I give you a prayer to pray this week? Can I give you a challenge, church? What if we got up every morning this week and we prayed, God, show me where my life can display your mercy and help me act on that. That's my challenge for you coming out. If you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, if you have received mercy from him, then it's your, it's your commission. You've got a mission, church, to go show that to somebody else. And so I want to challenge you every morning this week to get up and pray this prayer. God, show me where my life can display your mercy and help me act on it when I see it. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing and you respond as God leads you today.